Hello and welcome to another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Dan Capril here. Today I want to discuss the topic of Bitcoin. If uh, you're like most people, you really have no idea what Bitcoin is. You've heard about it and it's been in the news a lot lately because the value of it keeps going up. But you probably have no, if you're the average person, you're still not really sure exactly what it is. Don't feel bad. It's a relatively new phenomena. And it's one of these precarious things that if it lasts long term, I'll be surprised. But let, let's first explain, let's talk about currency first before we get into what Bitcoin is. Because Bitcoin is a form of electronic currency. If you go back to the beginning of civilization, people exchanged goods and services via bartering. You had something I wanted, I have something you want, we bartered. That became a little bit cumbersome. And eventually that evolved into gold, gold and silver. Items of gold and silver were supposedly representative of treasure that we had. So rather than me have to actually trade you the treasure, I would just give you the currency. And the currency was backed by the treasure that I had. I guess theoretically you could come back and get the currency or get the treasure if you wanted to. But because it was always backed up by something of value, nobody ever, you know, cashed it in. They would just say, well, you know, this is worth something because somebody who originally issued it had something to back it up. And, you know, we're just going to continue to trade the currency. It became a lot easier to trade coins and dollars for exchange of goods than it would be to, you know, bring your calf to your, your prized cow to the market every time you know, to get whatever it is that you wanted. It was a way for you to divide up your, your net worth into, into pieces. Governments got into the game, of course, because they can tax currency. And eventually currency became something that was backed up by the treasure of the country. So again, theoretically, you could take a dollar bill and go, I guess, down to Fort Knox in Kentucky and you could get a dollar's worth of gold. And that was the, the idea behind it. We are no longer on the gold standard. So our, our currency as a nation, and really this is true for any nation, is worth something only because we agree it's worth something. That in truth, you know, this paper money that I have here in my wallet really has no intrinsic value other than that we've all agreed as a society to exchange things for it. So if I want to go into a store, it's already been predetermined through you know, a set of cooperation that if I give enough cash equal to the goods and services, I can have it. But that's only because we've reached some type of agreement. There's really, again, no, no real value to it because we're not even on the gold standard. So if I gave you a dollar bill, you could not today go down to Fort Knox and get your, get your dollar bills worth. That's, just, that's not the way that it works anymore. So, yeah, currency is one of those weird things that's out there. In, in many ways, it doesn't make sense, but it does to the extent that it would have been hard for us to exchange goods and services if we were still working under the barter system. All right. Now, currency is very closely monitored by the countries that issue it. Counterfeit is a big concern. If you're in the currency business, you may have noticed over the years how much the dollar bill, and the $20 bill, and the $100 bill change their look. Most people don't carry $100 bills, but that's the one that changes the most. That's the one that most counterfeiting tends to get done in. And um, a lot of the illegal activities, uh, they use $100 bills 
I guess because you know, the denominations are just makes more sense. Less takes less room in a briefcase. But all currency is subjected to to counterfeit, and the Treasury never likes to report how bad it is. But it's got to be pretty bad because currency's look changes so much. There's microchips now that are actually in the currency. I mean, if you hold a twenty dollar bill up to the light, you can literally see a film. That goes right through it. You could literally pull that film out if you wanted to. I didn't even know that until one day I gave a tip to a mover. A guy was helping me move. And uh, he was one of these live-off-the-grid people before there was even a grid. Because this guy was back a number of years. And he held up the 20 to the light, to the sun, and then he bit into it and pulled out the strip. And he told me, oh, this is how the government tracks you. It's like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, this is one of my first experiences. All right. So let's get into Bitcoin. What's the history of Bitcoin? All right, well, it is a new currency. It's only been around since 2009. And it was created by an alias. We really don't know who created it. It might have been created by one person. It might have been created by a group of people. My guess is it's a group of people. The name that he or they use is Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, don't think for one second that means this came out of Japan. <laughs> It just means that's the name that they used, all right? And so that people hear that, Nakamoto, that's Japanese, obviously. No, all right. It's a currency that requires no middleman. There are no banks. There are absolutely no transaction fees. So if you have Bitcoin and you can find somebody who is willing to exchange goods and services for your Bitcoin, you're in business. And it, it also acts anonymously. So you're able to exchange, buy things of value, and there's absolutely no paper trail. So it, it's a way to be kept quiet, secret, if you will. So if you're in, into illegal activities, Bitcoin is a very useful way for you to make transactions. Because as you know, as you may know, sorry, if you were to make a cash deposit of $10,000 or more, your bank has to report that. And the, uh, the Treasury Department uses those triggers, those reportings, I should say, as a way to determine if there's any illegal activity going on. So... If somebody were to make a series of large cash deposits into their bank, the uh, Treasury Department would start to wonder why, the IRS might wonder why, the FBI might wonder why. doesn't mean you're doing anything illegal. It just means you're, you're raising scrutiny. So, of course, what do people who make large deposits do if they're engaged in illegal activity? They don't make deposits of $10,000. They make them of $9,000, of $8,000. They put the money in, in numerous banks. So there's... There's obviously always a way to get around that. All right, so how do you get Bitcoin? Oh, by the way, too, there's no credit card fees with Bitcoin. It's probably the closest thing to a free market currency that exists. And again, it's only worth something because we agree that it's worth something. All right, so how do you get Bitcoin? Well, the way you get Bitcoin, there's actually two ways that you can get it. One way is you go buy it. So if there is so many shares of Bitcoin out there, and you can buy it from somebody else. Now, at the moment, Bitcoin is trading at over $8,000. So for one Bitcoin, eight grand is what it costs. Eighty-one ninety as of the time I'm doing this recording. Keep in mind, in 2012, it was trading at six cents. <laughs> I don't know what that compounded growth is, but it's dramatic. All right, now. Here's what happens whenever we see huge gain in anything. People start jumping on, right? Because they start to believe that this growth that's occurred in the past is only going to continue in the future. 
It's a big mistake, of course, because there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. But that's what they do. There was not that long ago, I had people calling me up wanting to, well, at least they were, they were contemplating investing in Iraqi currency. Because the thought was, as a result of the, the war, Iraq was going to have to issue new currency, and it was going to be issued very cheaply. And then, you know, once they get going with their oil, and of course, at that time, oil prices were high, that it would soar. And I strongly recommended against it because currency, particularly of developing nations, and that's to put it mildly, I guess, with Iraq, is highly, highly unstable. In fact, in many of those nations, they don't, the people there don't even use that currency. They use dollars. If you've ever taken a cruise through the Mediterranean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you go down to Jamaica, the first thing that you will be told by your travel agent is do not buy the Jamaican currency. You will get ripped off. Your vendors will gladly accept dollars. So that's what you do. You, you continue to, to do it in dollars. Now, if you're in a developed nation like Canada, United Kingdom, it's a different story. And quite frankly, you can't. You can't use dollars. In, well, you could technically use them if they accepted them, but most are not. And it creates a little bit of problem because eventually they have to convert it back. So, so Bitcoin is, is on this huge surge right now. And again, it's only worth what someone's willing to pay. Now, there is another way that you can get Bitcoin, and it's called mining. And basically, what you have to be able to do is you have to use computers to solve complex mathematical puzzles. So if you think about it, where do dollar bills come from? Well, the mints prints them. You know, literally, there's a printing press that just prints the dollar bills. Where do new Bitcoins come from? Well, they have essentially um, contests for these complex questions. Who's ever created Bitcoin has these contests. And if you win a contest using these complex mathematical puzzles, you're going to get rewarded with 25 Bitcoins. And they do that roughly every 10 minutes. So the currency market is essentially being flooded with new Bitcoins. And look, if you can get 25 Bitcoins, which are currently trading at 8 grand, that's a pretty good deal, right? The future of Bitcoin is going to be based entirely on whether or not people continue to believe that it's worth something. They continue to agree to accept it. As soon as businesses decide, you know what, I'm not doing this whole Bitcoin thing. Maybe it's because the governments have made it hard for them because tracking this stuff is like impossible. So tax collection can't be done. There's all types of laws that are going to be written around this. You know, back when it was worth six cents, nobody paid any attention to it. Now that it's worth over eight grand, it's going to get a lot of, lot of focus. And the fact that it can be done anonymously is going to become a bigger and bigger issue because governments aren't going to like that. It's going to become, if, as it becomes more legitimate, governments are going to be tracking it even more carefully because of the illegal activities that can occur with Bitcoin, which will make it impossible for them to track. So, should you invest in Bitcoin? I've never been a proponent of investing in currency. It's way, way, way too volatile. And that's what we're seeing here with Bitcoin. We're seeing this huge volatility. We need to understand that volatility mathematically works two ways. And there's always something at the end of the day called reversion to the mean. So I'll give you a good example. Imagine you wake up one morning in July. Let's assume you live uh, in the United States. You wake up in, the, in July, and it doesn't matter where you live, you start seeing snow coming down. And in fact, for the next three days, it just keeps snowing and snowing and snowing. Now, putting the so-called climate change argument aside for a second, 
Do you think logically it's going to continue to snow like that forever in the month of July? And do you think that logically that it's going to start snowing every single July? No. You're going to view it as an aberration. Because eventually the temperature of each day is going to go back and get closer and closer to the average temperature of July. So in order to snow, it's got to be like, it's got to be under 32 degrees, right? Well, if it's July and you live in Atlanta, eventually you're going to get back to Atlanta temperatures that you normally see in July, 85, 90 degrees. You just had this little outlier that occurred. And eventually things revert back to the mean. We see that with stocks. You know, the history of large U.S. stocks, there, there have been many years where returns have been 20, 30, 40 percent. But there's been many other years where they haven't been close to that. At the end of the day, the return reverts back to the mean. The average return doesn't really move all that much. The problem with Bitcoin is it's been around so recently, and it just hasn't been around that long. We're still measuring it out statistically, and it's really hard to say. But something that moves up that quickly can move down just as quickly. And the concern I have right now is you have people buying into it just because they see the growth in price. So we have like this psychological movement to buy more. Just like you can go back and track the history of tulips in Holland. There was a time when the price of tulips was soaring. It was based on some psychological belief that they were worth what, what people were paying for them. And everybody wanted to get in on it. They wanted to get in on the action. And at some point, it just got too expensive and people stopped buying them. And then you get all these people spending all this money on tulip bulbs, and now they're essentially worthless. Well, the very same thing could happen with Bitcoin. It usually does happen with, with most currencies, that they get very, very strong, and then they go down. In fact, if they get too strong, it's very difficult for people to acquire them. So I don't know what's moving Bitcoin. Well, I have a feeling there's a few things that are moving Bitcoin. But right now, I think what's really moving it is just the, the unprecedented growth, and so everybody wants to get in on it. So my advice to you strongly is if you're going to go into this Bitcoin, please, please keep it as a small percentage of your overall net worth. Do not bet the farm on electronic currency. You know, you want to you want to go out and buy one Bitcoin for eight grand. I don't even know if you can buy it partially, but you want to go out and do that. Assuming eight grand is not everything you own. Fine. But just because it went from six cents to eight grand since 2012, so that's five years, does not mean it's going to grow at that same rate going forward. In fact, it all, it's almost a guarantee it won't. We find that this is where the psychological issues of personal finance come into play. We call it behavioral finance. The fact that our brain tricks us into doing certain things that don't make sense logically. And if you study what Bitcoin is, logically, you would conclude that sticking a significant amount of your money in it doesn't make sense. But emotionally, when you see that baby ride, you want to get in on the ride. Unfortunately, though, the past growth is not a reliable indicator of future growth. I'm a firm believer that the boring, consistent manner towards achieving wealth is the way to go. There are people who win lotteries. Most people don't. So I'll never be able to convince a lottery winner he shouldn't be in the lottery. But by the same token, I think I can convince most people who've never won a lottery that they're really just wasting their money. And as long as they understand that they're just doing it for fun, great. But please do not for one second believe that it's a, uh, it's a good investment. All right? If you'd like to talk more about this subject, and it is a complex subject, I'll, I'll give you that. I've always found currency to be strange because, again, it is based on agreements of what something's worth. It really has no intrinsic value. I mean, my car has intrinsic value. I can drive, it can get me around town. 
You know, it's it's tangible. I could sell it for parts that other people can use. Bitcoin doesn't do that. So the only way it's worth something is if someone agrees to, to sell me goods and services for it. If at some point it becomes illegal for companies to accept Bitcoin in exchange for goods and services, well, then obviously you're going to see the future of Bitcoin go down. And it's basically then going to become an underworld currency. That maybe it'll be used in illegal exchanges. Who knows? We'll see. So I hope that gives you a little bit of insight. If you'd like to talk more about this, please feel free to reach out to me. A number of ways you can do that. Now my our office number, area code 513-563-7526. Probably the best way. But you can also email me if you like, Dan at Matson and Capril. That's M-A-T-S-O-N-A-N-D-C-U-P-R-I-L-L. Either way, be more than happy to share with you my thoughts further. A couple other things, too. Feel free to visit our website, matsonandcapril.com. There's always a lot of great information on there. You can get copies of all of our past podcasts, as well as our blog. And uh, you can also get a copy of our Retirement Rescue Toolkit, if you don't have one of those. So uh, it's been great sharing with you insight on this unusual thing known as Bitcoin. I actually hope it's not even a topic five years from now. I'm not a fan of these rogue currencies. I think in the end, more people are going to get hurt than are ever going to help. I am a free market person. Don't get me wrong. But uh, what we have here, who knows if it'll be around going forward. So until next time, this is Dan Caprell. And thank you for listening to Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Caprell or about today's topic, visit matsonandcaprell.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.